We're recording. Apologies for the delivery scooter men revving outside my window. This is Beyond the Pass. Conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality and what makes us get out of bed each day. Sorry, I've got my dog here with me, so if you can hear him in the background. That's honestly, that really adds to it. (laughs) I'm Tobiana. I'm the founder of Kelly's Cause Foundation, and I'm here today with the lovely Hannah. Hannah, I'm going to hand over to you to introduce yourselves, to introduce yourself before we kick off. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, I'm Operations Manager for Pubs Project uh, with uh, within JKS. To be honest, that's uh, it's been, I mean, hospitality is... um, kind of it takes over your life doesn't it so that's kind of all I do at the moment is work and, and hang out with my dog and that's pretty much it <laughs> when you got into the restaurant business and whether when you kind of started you had intended it to be a career or if you kind of like fell into it like a lot of people do or whether it was something that was quite intentional I left school at 16 and I um I started working in an office, like as a filing assistant or something. I just wasn't, I, whereas I enjoyed school, but I wasn't very, I didn't have the patience for it. And I had a lot of friends who were older who were working. So I kind of felt that that was something I wanted to do. I worked at this publishing company in Horsford, quite up north, kind of near where, near where I'm from. And yeah, I used to hate it. I'd call in like sick every like Thursday and Friday. I think I was paid, like my first paycheck check was like £63 a week or something ridiculous. I remember like crying, like going home to my mum and she was just like, Hannah, why don't you just go get a job in a bar until it is you decide what it is that you want to do. I went to work at Revolution in in Leeds um, as a shop girl, would you believe it or not? And then I kind of was doing that a couple of nights a week and then I kind of uh, started as, as a waitress within Revolution. And then, yeah, I kind of didn't really see it as a, as a career. I just kind of saw it as surviving and, and a way to get through. but. I don't know, it's kind of like one of the first, well, it was the first place I worked where it was kind of, it's like a drug, isn't it? It's addictive because, I mean, the work itself is hard, but like the camaraderie with your like your teammates is just, it's like going, you know, you're getting ready for a busy shift, it's like going from, to war. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of got, I got, uh, I got hooked, shall we say, a very, very long time ago. <laughs> where did you go from there then? When did you kind of make the move to London and where did you work when you first came here? So I left Revolution and I went to go work for a cocktail bar in Leeds, which was uh, like my first introduction to, I mean, Revolution was, it was it was a late night bar, but it wasn't really, it was kind of very much a chain. So um, the reform was more about creativity and creating cocktails and uh, more of, you know, as, you know, revolution is great. I see it more as service, whereas revolution was like, you could just be your complete self. Like rock and roll music. Last Saturday of every month, we uh, had like an industry night where we were open till six o'clock in the morning. That was pretty gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I worked there, got promoted, sort of looked through the ranks, I think I got to assistant manager. And then I'd always said there was two bars that I would have wanted to work for in Leeds. One was called Mojo's. For anybody who knows Northern Bars, those two bars are the pinnacle of everything that I believe in. Good music, good drinks, good vibes. I got poached to go work at Sandinista, which was amazing. Again, hard work. We were open till three o'clock in the morning, every night of the week. She was out the door, like four deep at the bar. Like, you just, once you know you start your shift, you're just making drinks, like, constantly. 
I'm sure all bartenders are the same, whether you make drinks and then you go home and you dream about making drinks and then you wake up and you make drinks again. So it's just very all-consuming, very much like a lifestyle, partying and dancing on tables and dancing on the bar tops and like listening to ACDC and Jimi Hendrix. I worked there, I got promoted to general manager, uh, which was, I just remember the day my old boss, a gentleman called Cy Ord, he promoted me and it was like I was cheesing so hard it was like the best thing that ever happened to me I was so so proud I was like ripe old age of 23 or something it was just amazing and then we uh we went on to do an opening in Manchester so Samadis in Manchester it's still there now it's like 11 years ago now so we did that for a year Manchester was it's it's a party city I just couldn't hack it you know late nights drinking you get drunk at work so then you wake up the next morning and the only way to get over your hangover is to kind of drink again and I had to run away from Manchester and I moved to London I um uh, lads that I didn't actually know but he uh obviously in hospitality you kind of know the same sort of people he'd heard that I was wanting to move to London and he said that he was doing a new opening and um that they were looking for bartenders and this was at Bergman Lobster in Mayfair Back in 2012, I moved to London. I had £40 in my back pocket. And uh, yeah, I just kind of made it work. Stayed on my friend's sofa for two months. Big shout out to Mel for putting me up. Yeah, I was really lucky to start at um, an amazing time. This was the time of when Meat Liquor just opened, kind of like no reservations thing. So Bergen Lobster just boom. You know, I got involved in a lot of their openings. So I think I did the majority of the openings for them in London and then decided I kind of wanted to take a step from the bar. Whereas before I had seen it as a career, but I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't have a path for myself. I was just kind of, you know, you live month to month and you don't kind of see what the end goal is. And I kind of felt that moving into venue management rather than bar management was was a better avenue for that for me. So I became general manager at Bergen Lobster in ninth grade. And then after eight years of seven years of Bergen Lobster, I decided I, uh, I mean, Bergen Lobster, fast paced, like we do 1200 covers on a Saturday. Like you just, you literally in and you're like, boom, 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 get in, get out. And it takes a special kind of person to have that like relentless. Uh, pushing all the time and I kind of thought I wanted to learn more about wines, learn something more about food. So I went to work for, they have, Bergen Lobster have a sister group, Zelma Meats and Goodman's. So I went across and did a couple of openings with those guys. Loved that company. It was the absolute most enriching period of my life. I learned so much from them. Uh, again, big shout out to Dave Strauss, who um, was the operations director, just like an absolute legend, uh, industry legend. Really looked after me, helped nurture me. And it was a really tough decision for me to leave. It was really, really tough from leaving the Bergen Lobster family who I'd been with for so long, where I knew everything and everybody would come to me and I kind of had the answers for everything, to then move to another company where I didn't really know and I kind of felt, I thought I knew and I didn't. Then I, I decided I was just like, I've, need a break, I need to, uh, need to leave London because it's very like all-encompassing, isn't it? I moved back home, I went back to Leeds. Um, I went to do a new opening for a company called Waggy Bar and Grill. So I did three openings with them, then I moved from them and I went to D&D. So I uh, worked as operations manager for D&D. And then after the pandemic hit, I was obviously living on my own. I was miserable in Leeds because I was just so lonely and I just made the decision I want to be back in London. I'm really glad I left London because it kind of put a lot in perspective for me. If I hadn't have left, I think the things that would really 
frustrating uh, would have continued and I probably would have spiralled a little bit. Whereas leaving, it kind of put every, a lot of things into perspective about, you know, who your friends are. And I kind of felt, oh, why have I left somewhere where I've actually grown up in London? London's definitely my home. I've got so many amazing friends in Leeds, but it's just, you know, married, children, just a completely different lifestyle to um, I was accustomed to in London. And then I came back and managed, I was really lucky, managed to get a transfer with D&D. So I went to work at BGM at Paternoster Chop House, the first dates restaurant, which was great. A really good little team there. And then a dear old friend of mine who I've actually knew from back in the Leeds days, uh, back in like 2006, 2007, was a guy called Dominic Jacobs. And we used to, we just used to go and get pissed all the time in Leeds. We've stayed friends over the years. Like we've done a couple of events together and things. And he just approached me saying how he was starting this new project with JKS and what are they interested to come and work with him. So he's asked me a couple of times over the years, um, but it kind of just didn't feel like it was the right time. And this at this point, I was like, yeah, give me this challenge. This sounds just right on my street. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> Before I forget, I just want to ask what it was like working in the first dates restaurant. It was so iconic. I actually met my my boyfriend now in there. That, oh my god! Without even being on an episode of first dates, because we were on Paternoster, obviously Paternoster Square, and everyone would like book and just ask loads of questions about it. I remember like the first time I walked in and being like, "Oh my god, that's where that is!" and "Oh my god, that's where that is!" I just absolutely loved first dates. Then my uh, my partner, he. Um, wrote his number on a receipt for me and slipped it across. You've been more successful than almost every single couple that's ever gone on first dates. So it actually, it actually works. <laughs> I'm sure there's been like some marriages or something, no? I, I don't know. Actually, I'd be quite interested to look into that. I'm sure there must have been like on the law of averages, like for how many first dates there's been, there has to have been someone that it's worked out for. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> I I just wanted to ask, it was really nice to hear you talking about how you'd had such a great experience in hospitality and you felt like really nurtured, which is not necessarily always the narrative that we hear. So can you just tell me a little bit more about kind of what exactly was kind of happening within that company for you to feel, feel nurtured and what were they doing to kind of look after their staff? I think it was just something that was from the top. There was an attitude of looking after staff. And it was something that wasn't, you know, they paid really well. All the service charge uh, was given to us. I remember, I mean, this is back in the day, but working at Burger Lobster in, in Mayfair, we used to get like 17, 18 pounds an hour. Like, ridiculous. Um, and obviously, it's not all about the money. Like, if it was a bad environment, then I think I wouldn't have wanted to be there. But the owners, just really friendly. They just really care about the staff and everything was about the staff. There wasn't anything in particular that was put in place. It wasn't like, it was just a conscious thing. Nothing was forced. I always felt if I had an issue, I could talk to my line manager, my operations manager. I just felt really supportive. And, you know, if I ever had any frustrations or was working really late, I just... As I said, it's not like one particular thing, but it was just like, this is going to sound so cheesy and I hate saying it, but it's like a family. <laughs> That's I can't believe I just said that. I feel a bit sick. <laughs> um, but it really, like it genuinely was. And I'm obviously looking back at it through like, obviously through a fondness of a period of my life. I'm sure there were some days where I was like, this is really annoying. But yeah, no, it was great. Like it wasn't, a, nothing was forced. I had a general manager called Aggie 
who I think she's she's definitely still at Virgin Lobster now. I mean, she was just amazing. Like she was always really calm. Uh, like listened. I just worked her ass off. Like she was just somebody I really really looked up to, and I always I like that's my pinnacle of, of who I look up to and who I who I want to you know people to look up to me in that way. I think I was walking into work one day and I was I was like literally just rushing to get to to uh, the office. And I think I didn't say hi to that many people on the way in, which is not like normally I'm kind of overly friendly. And then we went on a night out like a couple of nights later and one of the waitresses came up to me and she was like, Hannah, like, are you okay? Have I done something wrong? Like, is are we okay? I, I walked past her without saying hello and she took that for like two days. And I could obviously tell that she was really thinking about it. And, you know, we have to, when you're in a position of authority, of anything, any little thing that you do, people can take it the wrong way um, and sit with it for days and days and days. Looking up to Aggie and how she was, it's just always made me really, really conscious of that. And making sure that my team feel as supported as, as I have felt in my that's really good. It's really nice to hear. And also like the fact that they weren't reinventing the wheel, right? They were just like paying well and they were looking after their staff. Like it seems pretty basic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in the industry as a woman. Obviously it can be sometimes in certain roles, I think especially in kind of senior management roles and like owner level, it's often quite male dominated. So I guess what have you kind of found about your experience as a woman in the industry? When I first started like seriously managing Leeds 2009, there was hardly any female bartenders. There was like maybe three or four of us out of the whole scene. So I had a massive chip on my shoulder because I just felt like I had something to prove. I remember again, first day starting Simon Easter, uh, G, who was my ops manager, was like, so girls don't work on Tuesdays because Tuesdays delivery days. And I was like, excuse me? what yeah i think that was a perception then that girls couldn't handle the deliveries so i was like right screw you i'm going to show you i can do deliveries and i would do you know i'd ship like 50 barrels just to, not not just to prove a point to the lads but to prove it to myself as well um because i had such camaraderie with my colleagues and just that respect because i did work really hard that i don't think i ever struggled as a woman in the industry then many yeah there's many occasions with with guests where being a girl was hard but not never with the people i worked with you know as you mentioned as you get higher up you know there's connotations of you know when you're asking people to do something again i remember i had a bartender who worked for me i'm not going to say who or where a man and he was 45 and I was his GM when I was like 27, 28 and uh, I remember giving him like feedback on his like on performance reviews and he just he hated taking the feedback from me and made my like made my job really difficult so all, all this you know things you ask people you can call you can be called a bitch just from being a woman I think people if you're a, a strong independent outspoken woman there's always there's always something that goes on the side of it of people's perceptions of you I do feel there's the gender pay gap I think as you go into those larger positions are uh, it is very right it's very prevalent I think men tend to ask which is why they seem to get whereas women will do will do it and then we're like oh should I ask should I not ask like what should I do like we'll sit and we'll think about it for two weeks ask for what we were I think men don't just don't do you agree is that just me I don't know I agree and I think but that's just like 
the workings of the patriarchy in general that they're just constantly told they can have whatever they want and we have to work harder for those things it's like the thing about how like a man and a woman with like the exact same qualifications will see a job and the woman will be like oh I, i'm not qualified for that i'm not going to apply and the man will be like i'm not qualified but i'm going to go for it anyway one of the um, huge attractions working with jks was they have some bad ass women who work for jks you've got sue who's the S in JKS. Uh, we have Duan, who's the operations director, who's just house. She's just so amazing. Like she's so supportive. We've got Laura Irving, who's like director of, of marketing. We have like a really strong female-led company, and I think that shows. Like I really, really think it shows in terms of the nurturing kind of side. You know, I don't have children. I don't want children, but I do. I do have a nurturing side, and I do feel like that comes out when I look after my team and my staff. I love being a woman in this industry. I feel like there have been struggles over the years for certain things, but in a way, like the new generation of women coming through, hopefully won't have to struggle that way. Uh, but I do think also it is, it's a mindset. People will say things or, you know, they'll say things about you behind your back as well, but because you're in that position and it's kind of like, just have confidence in yourself, know that you're doing the right thing for, for your team, for you, for business and, you know, everything else will follow I guess. It does just seem like one everything that JKS touches turns to gold and two that like I mean now that I've, I did training with you guys I did um, some one days with like different people across different roles and different um, brands within JKS and like honestly everybody just speaks so highly of the company and I think that like they're just doing an incredible job and I'm sure that is because of having lots of women in like high high level positions within that i think it's interesting what you say about the nurturing side because when i first started being a chef i used to think that i had to like lean into that like masculine energy and be like really tough and really strong and like not show my emotions and then i suddenly realized that it was not working i was miserable because it was like completely at odds with who i am and then i suddenly just flipped and was like actually being able to be like nurturing and kind and loving and vulnerable is actually the kind of superpower and so once you can kind of lean into that and and embrace that i think it's what's well, better for everybody it's definitely better for you yeah for sure and i uh, it's just important isn't it again because it's you know a lot of the people that we we have this isn't their career but they will remember everything that you've said to them or how you treated them you know for the rest of their lives that seems a bit extreme but i do believe that like we've all remembered like that one teacher that we had when we were uh, your man was Mr. Flig. He was my English teacher. Shout out to Mr. Flig. <laughs> he was amazing. I loved him. Or then, like you know, I remember you know, like my first manager. Like he was amazing to me. And then also on the flip side of that, we all remember the people who were absolute scumbags. Or so it's a prime lesson in in how not to behave. I still think there is a lot of that. You talk about how you're feeling, you're not listened to, or you know you're expected to behave a certain way. As you were saying, this this toxic masculinity or you should just put up and shut up like just get on with it it's your job I do think there's still a lot of that uh, but I'm really hoping you know with as we spoke about the nurturing and you know bringing people up through the ranks in the teams that they will then do the same and this culture of people being in charge who shouldn't be in charge will die out shortly so um around that like particularly in the current climate where everyone seems to be understaffed we're all overworked customers seem to be ruder than ever and we're ramping up to the few weeks before Christmas what are the kind of things that you've found that keep your team motivated 
again, it's an attitude. It, it starts from the top. Yes, admittedly, like I'm working a lot of hours, you know, on the pub floor, I'm in service. But what matters is that when I'm in that service, I'm the happiest, the most positive person that I can be for the team because I know no matter how I'm feeling, if I'm tired, they're going to be feeling even worse. You know, not reinventing the wheel, but you've got to, you've got to be that person. If you're moaning that you're tired, if you're feeling like you're not wanting to be there, then that will have such a massive effect on everybody around you, especially when you're the person in charge. And I just think that that helps, like being supportive. Don't bollock everybody because something's gone wrong. How do we fix it? How do we get better? How do we learn from this? And it's about just having an open, honest conversation with the team and asking. They need to feel valued. Small little things that make people feel valued, which is super, super important, especially in the run-up to Christmas. You know, some of my staff are working incredibly long hours because we haven't got staff. But it's about feeling valued and making sure that those people who are tired, those people who are working over, feel that they can come into work and have a good time, have fun, and just, um, yeah, feel, repeat myself, but it's true, like, just feeling valued is high up there and listened to and approachable. So I, I'm hoping my team will know that whatever issues they've got going on, they can come and talk to me and I will take that time. You know, even if it's a five-minute conversation of sit down how are you how are you feeling we have to keep checking up on each other we, for, we forget those basic things like I think it is about communication and about your team knowing that you value them and that is it seems so obvious and basic right but again I don't necessarily think that is something that all managers across hospitality do so I just want to finish with some little quick fire questions what's your favorite source oh gosh like like condiment sauce or like a main sauce? Any sauce. Oh, it's got to be gravy. I'm a, for a true northerner speaking here is gravy. I was going to say HP sauce, but no, gravy, gravy, gravy. <laughs> gravy, gravy, gravy. Um, <laughs> the best, best thing you've eaten in bread recently? I've done some tastings for the Christmas menu for the Cadogan Arms. And I've got to say, there's some good things going on in there. The good Christmas sandwich is is the one. Like, not soggy bread, mm -hmm. but, like, kind of seeping through with juice is just the one. Yeah, turkey sandwich. Tis the season for it. What are you listening to at the moment? I love old-school rock and roll. Uh, so I always have, uh, I always have like, Pink Floyd's Led Zeppelin uh, on repeat as the music at the Cadogan reflects. Um, and podcasts. I love true crime. I am one of these people that I can't fall asleep without listening to uh, murder documentaries, which is a bit, some of my friends have said that's a bit worrying, but if anybody needs a hand hiding any dead bodies, I'm your girl to come to. I might need to go check and speak to someone about that. <laughs> I think that's like a really normal way to fall asleep. Absolutely. What's your fridge staple? So what's the one thing you've always got hanging around in your fridge? I cannot cook. I am a really, really bad cook. Uh, which is strange because I love food, but I eat out quite a lot. So my fridge staple would probably be some cottage cheese. It's my late, 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 late night snack, cottage cheese and milk. That's probably what's in my fridge. Very exciting. That is really the fridge of someone who works in hospitality, isn't it? You're never home to <laughs> exactly, eat. Exactly, exactly. And you get home and you open your fridge and you're like, what the fuck am I going to eat from this? Um, who, would be, who would be your dream dinner guest? To look at or to speak to? To look at is definitely going to be Tom Hardy, um, as a lot of my friends will know. 
Um, but I would love to have had a conversation with Stevie Nicks. I would love to go for dinner with her. Uh, Stevie Nicks uh, of Fleetwood Mac fame. She's my spirit animal. I just love her energy, her outlook. She's just, I'm fangirling, seriously. She's amazing. I'd love to <laughs> Stevie Nicks, if you're out there, let's go for dinner. I'm not sure Stevie Nicks will be listening to this podcast, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, I like. I also like that you've chosen like the eye candy and then the conversation. I think that's a real like. He, Tom Hardy can just sit in the corner for you to look at while you have a chat with Stevie Nicks. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? What's happening at your pubs at the moment? What's happening over Christmas? What's going on? So um, we've done a new opening last week, the George on 55 Great Portland Street. It's amazing. It's run by Connor Daly and Colin Maher, pretty much a full Irish management team. Uh, we've got amazing Irish coffees. I really kind of see and hope this will end up being like a big industry hangout. Over Christmas uh, at the Cadogan, we have festive menus. We're opening the whole way through. So if any of you get fed up with your family on Christmas Day, come and see me. I will be there. Probably maybe getting getting a bit excitable with the staff at the end of that day. Okay. That's it at the moment. But I think we've done quite a few, well, we've done, I have to say quite a few. We've done two openings, like one pretty much in the back of the other. So I think now it's time to just get all our ducks in a row and, uh, and assess what a successful year this year has been and then get ready to smash it again next year. Yeah, excellent. God, let's hope that 2022 is just... 2022 is, I feel it, it's a good year. It is. It's going to be a great year. Um, thank you so much, Hannah. It was lovely to chat. It was lovely to hear about your background and hear about your experience in the industry. Um, as always, any JKS restaurant is an amazing place to be, but hop on down to either of those pubs as well, especially over Christmas. You should do. It's, they're looking very, there's nothing better than a pub at Christmas. I 100% agree. Beyond the Past is produced by Kelly's Cause Foundation. For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com or find us on Instagram at kellyscause.